This is The Guardian. Tired of ads barging into your favorite news podcasts? Good news. Ad-free listening is available on Amazon Music for all the music plus top podcasts included with your Prime membership. Stay up to date on everything newsworthy by downloading the Amazon Music app for free or go to amazon.com slash news ad free. That's amazon.com slash news ad free to catch up on the latest episodes without the ads. Finding your perfect home was hard, but thanks to Burrow, furnishing it has never been easier. Burrow's easy to assemble modular sofas and sectionals are made from premium, durable materials, including stain and scratch resistant fabrics. So they're not just comfortable and stylish, they're built to last. Plus, every single Burrow order ships free right to your door. Right now, get 15% off your first order at burrow.com slash ACAST. That's 15% off at burrow.com slash ACAST. Kevin McCarthy finally got his hands on the all-important speaker's gavel as Friday headed into Saturday last weekend. As, after the 15th count... Late at night, members of the House of Representatives narrowly voted him in as the next Speaker of the House of Representatives. It was a time for House members, elected or re-elected after the November midterms, to at last be sworn in, among them a new member who has got more attention than all the rest. George Santos, Republican of Long Island, New York. It's disgraced the House of Representatives and we do not consider him one of our Congress people. Democrats and even some Republicans, like those in Santos's own local party in Nassau County on Long Island, where, as you just heard, they're calling for him to resign after he admitted to lying about a range of things during his campaign, his career, his education, his family. He's also facing multiple investigations into alleged crimes in both the U.S., and Brazil. So who is the real George Santos? How likely is it that he'll see out his full term in office? And does his success tell us more about the state of US politics than it does about the shortcomings and rather vivid imagination of one individual? I'm Jonathan Friedland, columnist at The Guardian, and this is Politics Weekly America. What stands out about Santos is that there may have been crimes committed uh, and there appears to be very questionable material in what he admits to being inaccurate material on his disclosures. So Will Bredeman is the senior researcher at the Daily Beast and he's been looking into the many lives of George Santos for a few months now. There's a density of, 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 of mistruths, of, of embellishments, exaggerations, fabrications, around George Santos that is uh, unusual, you know, in any in politics, in life. I, the reason I, I, I think of, of Jay Gatsby is it, it seems like he created another person to, to do the things he could not do. I mean, just a few years ago, he was working in a call center uh, and suddenly he's in Congress. I've never seen a case quite like this. We should say at this point, because we're going to talk a lot about his record, that we did on the podcast reach out to uh, George Santos and his team to ask them about the various inconsistencies in his record, the investigations that we're going to be talking about. But he did not come back to us about that or 
anything else. Nevertheless, there are these cameras that are sort of magnetically drawn to him. They're on him all the time. And there was a lot of pictures last week of him sitting alone as if shunned by colleagues. And then by the final, that 15th and final round of voting, he was pictured sitting next to, you know, the prince and princess of Republican disruption, you might say, Matt Gates and Lauren Boebert, two of the holdout no votes against uh, Kevin McCarthy. Really fascinating to deconstruct that. I mean, who came and sat next to whom first? And would they regard George Santos as a kindred spirit or he regard them that way? What do you think? I mean, he certainly ran as a very conservative Republican, but he also came into the House from the outset uh, intending to vote for Kevin McCarthy as speakers. And that, that left him on sort of opposite sides uh, of the divide last week. Uh, so whether there is whether there's an inherent uh, 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 sort of affinity between them, certainly George Santos, uh, you know, does like to uh, sort of speak in the, the rhetoric of extremely conservative Republicans or maybe even conservatives, the wrong phrase, just extremely Trump loyal Republicans. Uh, this is, a again, like a razor thin uh, Republican House majority. Santos is going to be on the younger side of, of those uh, elected and those holding office there. So I, I just think that there you may see some of these people uh, form, you know, begin to form relationships and will need to form relationships, uh, you know, if they're going to get legislation passed. You know, essentially every every Republican seat at this point is is sort of sacred and, and, and incredibly valuable. You mentioned uh, Trump loyal. Is that a per? I mean, he, you know, he's on the page with Trumpism. What about personally? Is he one of those Republicans newly elected who were handpicked by Trump, favored by Trump, personally close to him? Where is he in Trump universe? You know, it's funny is that I think he wants to. One of the images he's attempted to project is somebody who has access and proximity to Trump. Uh, you know, he went to made a very big deal. Uh, just a couple years ago about being at Mar-a-Lago for a maskless party, uh, has tried to call attention to his proximity to Trump. But, you know, he was not somebody who was sort of, uh, you know, blessed from the outset or, you know, selected by anybody in the upper echelons of the Republican Party, uh, at least uh, not formally. He sort of was running for this seat that had, was a very long time Democratic seat. Uh, and was not even a priority, I don't believe, for Republicans locally uh, until we got a new set of maps in New York that it suddenly became a, a winnable district for Republicans, even though it is still a Democratic-leaning district, or at least a Biden-leading district. Always the risk of any kind of wave, red or otherwise, is that they, you know, big landslide brings in people who may not have been you know, thoroughly vetted. It happens in politics all around the world, as you said, no red wave nationally, but there was a sort of mini red wave in New York, and and that tide brought in George Santos. So look, let's go through the bulging file or and dossier against George Santos. In an interview with the New York Post, Santos confessed to what he called embellishing his resume, but insists he will serve in the next Congress. We may not get through it all because it is it is voluminous. Uh, thanks to the work of you and your colleagues and others, uh, there is so much that's been unearthed about him. Uh, but let's just start with, I mean, one in particular that just got a lot of attention, this claim he made. He isn't 
Jewish, and he once said he was. I'm very proud of my, my grandparents' story, my grandfather fleeing uh, Ukraine, fleeing Stalin's persecution, going to, to Belgium, finding refuge there, marrying my grandmother, then fleeing Hitler, going to, to, to Brazil. That's a story of, of, of perseverance. His response was, I never claimed to be Jewish, he said in an interview. I am Catholic, but he said by way of a defence, I, all I meant was that I was Jewish, um, which brought much, you know, waves of uh, of sceptical laughter from many Jews. But just unpack that for us. Obviously, politicians love to try to be all things to all people. Santos clearly went a bit further with all of that and did, in fact, uh, claim falsely uh, that he had Jewish relations, did also claim that he had connections to Ukraine, uh, family links to Ukraine. You know, it seems almost that, you know, every, you know, uh, politically viable group, he, he felt he needed to, you know, make a claim to identity with them. And it, it's it's sort of fascinating. But no, that, that that's the claim that he only claimed to be Jewish and and was sort of, you know, misquoted and everyone forgot to put the hyphen in. It, it just it just doesn't stand withstand scrutiny. Yeah. And, and you know, big claim because he freighted it with a sort of, I think, some claimed moral authority saying his grandmother had survived the Holocaust. And uh, uh, and, and as you say, records show no sign of any Jewish or Ukrainian heritage. Instead, the records show that his maternal grandparents were born in Brazil. But, to, you know, st- staying with family, another uh, bit that, again, of this, there's a thread here of sort of borrowing kind of moral authority that's conferred perhaps by suffering. In July 2021, he wrote on Twitter that the 9-11 attacks of 2001, quote, claimed my mother's life. Big claim would certainly have big meaning in New York and on Long Island where he was seeking election. It would go a long way there. What, what, what are the facts there, Will? I mean, the facts there are that his mother, uh, you know, did not die uh, on 9-11. Uh, his uh, mother died, I think, on December 23rd of 2016. You know, yes, this is just another kind of uh, attempt to assert a certain identity and affinity uh, with an important voting block in this district. There's uh, Jewish people are an important voting block in this district. And so are people who, if not uh, being 9-11 survivors, might be the relatives of 9-11 survivors or were just in New York on 9-11. And that was, you know, such a cataclysm and such uh, just a, a you know, a touchstone moment for so many people in New York that it it has great resonance and meaning for a huge number of people. Uh, you know, this district in particular, sort of Queens and, and Long Island, uh, doesn't perfectly map on where a lot of first responders live. But first responders are, again, a, a population in this district, uh, as are people who work in the financial district where the 9-11 attacks happen. So I, that making a claim like that would have enormous resonance. But the truth is his mother died 15 years later. And there's no record, because this is how you could just about make a connection, if she had picked up some kind of health problem caused by the attacks. But in fact, no evidence she was even at the World Trade Center on 9-11. And, and he further claimed that his mother was, you know, working in the financial sector. Uh, and everything appears that his mother, you know, worked as a cleaner. Uh, the, the the fantasies or the, the fabrications are, are not just of suffering and, and, and oppression, but also of uh, alleging he, you know, he and his family had these prestigious positions and had a real estate portfolio and that he was a successful figure in finance. And uh, none of it holds up. He, he, he sort of, 
you know, created this whole illusion of himself as a, an American success story that just doesn't hold up to scrutiny. But there is a pattern here. There is a thread. And, and, and I think you put your finger on it a bit, with, which is key groups in New York. I mean, it was as if he was making up the perfect sort of New York Republican resume, because we've mentioned these groups, obviously 9-11, there's a you know, big Jewish community in New York. He claimed he had been, uh, he had worked at Citigroup and Goldman Sachs. We can debate my my resume and how I worked with firms such as it, Goldman Sachs. Is it Citigroup debatable or is it long, just false? Now, you know, finance, Wall Street, again, big part of the New York economy, big part of the New York landscape, and yet no evidence there either. No, no. He worked for a company called Linkbridge, as far as we can tell, and that's that's been confirmed that he did that he claims again uh, and everything he claims has got to be put under a microscope at this point that, you know, he did work for Goldman Sachs and Citigroup while holding this position at Linkbridge. All these appear to be spurious claims. He, you know, was working, you know, just a few years ago at a call center, you know, and then he, you know, made his way from Linkbridge to Harbor City Capital, uh, which uh, was how I became aware of him is that uh, in April, I wrote how the, you know, Securities and Exchange Commission had uh, charged this with being a Ponzi scheme. But yes, he, he was creating a resume, a sort of sterling uh, New York Republican resume, and probably also, I would say, signaling to uh, probably the Republican authorities and, and, and the powers that be that this is somebody who could raise money as well. Having a background in finance is, is a sign that you can bring money to the table. And that is one of the very first things that in either party they ask you when you want to run for office is, how much money can you raise? So I think, yes, he was creating a, something for the public, but also something that would be very appealing to, you know, uh, you know, Republican leadership. Absolutely. He must have looked like a dream come true to them because he had the perfect resume. And in fact, of course, it turned out to be too good to be true. But before we leave the resume, I mean, there is also education. He said he attended New York University or obtained a degree at Baruch College. Again, New York University pressing those New York buttons. Uh, but uh, your own researchers found that, uh, uh, and in fact, he later admitted to the New York Post that he didn't graduate from any institution of higher learning. Quote, I didn't graduate from any institution of higher learning. I'm embarrassed and sorry for having embellished my resume. I own up to that. We do stupid things in life. So then again, a demonstrable, easy thing to disprove. I mean, more puzzling in some ways is this one, which is that despite being openly gay and married to a man, he was married to a woman for several years. And again, a, la a sort of... A sort of fog of opacity there. I mean, the, you know, no one makes a judgment one way or the other, but just a lack of transparency. Just talk us through that. It's unclear, you know, frankly. he We, we can say absolutely, just based on the public record, he was married in 2012 and he got divorced very shortly before he launched his very first campaign for Congress uh, for the 2020 cycle. So was uh, formally married uh, for seven years. Now, why he got married were the, the motivations or, or his particular relationship uh, with this, this young woman. You know, all of that uh, remains quite obscure, and she has not been, uh, to this point, at least not to us, forthcoming uh, about her relationship uh, with Mr. Santos. Again, there is a, a person that he has identified as his husband. Uh, there's no real record of that marriage. 
you know, nobody I do I believe has to this point suggested that he isn't a gay man or that he is not, you know, uh, you know, had relationships with gay men and that his is his primary identity. But, you know, it's just one more dimension uh, of his life uh, that that just simply opens up so many questions. I, I feel a little bit we're like the the old Indian parable of, of the sort of men in a dark room with an elephant and you, you sort of feel one part of it and you, it, you know, might feel like a snake or a pillar or a wall. We're just beginning to sort of grasp the contours uh, of this sort of mystery, uh, this enigma that is George Santos. Elegantly put, I like that. And uh, we should just say for the record that his statement to the New York Post last month was, I'm okay with my sexuality. People change. I'm one of those people who change. Let's talk about money. Inevitable, it's going to be in in uh, any conversation of this kind. He has uh, set up or involved with an animal rescue group, Friends of Pets United, which he said was a tax-exempt organisation uh, and, you know, was there as a sort of charitable organisation. That doesn't quite pattern out. Yeah, no, there's just, there's no record of this thing being, uh, you know, registered as a non-profit you know, obviously there are organizations that are, are organized informally, but there are strict rules, particularly in New York, about registering not just with the IRS, but with the state attorney general's office. And it's it just no evidence that he that he has done this to date. Uh, and this is just is one more aspect uh, of, of his career that has been either exaggerated or fabricated. He is under investigation for fraud in both in New York and Brazil. I'm guessing that that's not, you know, people can make up funny things about their ethnicity and their family. I'm guessing that's not the reason they are curious about George Santos. What has drawn the attention of the authorities in him and his past? Well, the the fraud investigation in Brazil dates back as uh, to 2008 and... Uh, it appears that his mother was working as a, a sort of home health aide to an elderly man. And according to the Brazilian police file, which has uh, gone around, I have a copy and I think other people have copies. He basically uh, stole a checkbook uh, and used the it, you know, used it to purchase some expensive shoes uh, for a boyfriend of his in Brazil. So that is a, a very uh, straightforward, uh, you know, instance of fraud. I'll just jump in here and say that while police in Brazil say that Santos had initially admitted that he had stolen the checkbook, he did deny it to the New York Post a few weeks ago, saying, I am not a criminal here, not here or in Brazil or any jurisdiction in the world. Basically, the, the case was just renewed because they, they found where he was. The, the extra, Part of the extraordinary part of this to me as well is just that you know, for somebody with so many kind of questionable things in his background, by calling attention to himself, by running for Congress and winning, uh, sort of in a way he, he uh, you know, set in motion all these things that would sort of explode the the whole story of his life. Uh, and it's it sort of there's a, a fascinating sort of element of self-destruction in that, that he would go through with this. Uh, now, he's under investigation for in New York by 
Long Island, particularly the Nassau County District Attorney. Meanwhile, this comes as another congressman-elect from New York, a neighboring district, has called, a Republican as well, has called for a House ethics investigation into Santos. And, and Whether there's, in fact, a state-level criminal charge remains to be seen. There are more serious, there are, I would say, probably the thing to keep your eye on, though, are questions about whether he knowingly submitted false materials to the House of Representatives and to the Federal Elections Commission. I think that is the thing to keep your eye on as we go forward. Yeah, I mean, as I said at the top, and uh, there is just so much here, uh, to use your image of the groping and feeling at the hide of the elephant in the dark, very hard to keep track of all of it. I mean, I'll just rattle through a couple more before asking you some more general thoughts. I mean, he he said, for example, in a radio interview that he had lost four employees in the Pulse nightclub shooting in Orlando in June 2016. Shooting massacre inside the Pulse nightclub, popular in Orlando's gay community, ranks as the single deadliest shooting attack in American history. More than 50... A homophobic attack, and newspapers have proved that none of his employees were at that night nightclub. It was proved to be false. There's questions about campaign finance, as so often about allegations that he masked the true source of his campaign's funding. You've mentioned some of those criminal charges. He says he's had a family fortune in real real estate. There's no evidence of that. I mean, on and on it goes. Uh, let's just talk about, you know, we mentioned that we had we tried to make contact with George Santos, give him a chance to address all these questions. He has not taken up our offer or I think many other journalists offers to put his side of the story but what would you say about how he has handled these allegations as they've come out beyond you know the words of his lawyer Joe Murray who said that it was after the New York Times had got, gone into print on this said it was no surprise that Congressman-elect Santos has enemies at the New York Times who are attempting to smear his good names with these defamatory allegations, classic sort of political response saying it's a political hit job, it's a witch hunt, as Donald Trump might say. What's your read of how he and and, and his team have responded to this gradual unravelling of the story he had told about himself? You know, he initially uh, he claimed that all these things were defamatory, uh, and then he sort of came forward and, and began to have these sort of mea culpas admitted he had, uh, you know, embellished at the very minimum and outright fabricated, you know, much of his work resume, admitted that he did not have a, a real legitimate claim to, to Jewish ancestry. Uh, but it really seems that part of his desire, at least, is for the moment to just sort of plow ahead uh, and hope other news uh, uh, events uh, simply catch the public interest and draw some of the attention away from himself. And this may go to one of your earlier points. It seems like he may be trying to form relationships with other members of the House of Representatives, you know, to protect himself or to at least create a, a cluster around himself of people who would work with him and, and stand by him. And so, you know, going in there and voting for Kevin McCarthy immediately made him valuable. And all this, of course, leads to questions for Republicans themselves. Kevin McCarthy, the new speaker, did say on Wednesday that he thinks George Santos should not be seated on any top committees. I mean, that may not deal with the whole problem. How are Republicans handling all this? Yes, I think I think nationally, Republicans are, are taking this sort of agnostic attitude 
You did see the Republican Jewish coalition take a, a very big step away from him. I think that may speak to the concerns of their membership and the people who support them financially and and uh, who are, are active in that organization. Uh, you're also seeing Republicans on Long Island, you know, sort of try to distance themselves a bit from him. Uh, you know, folks in neighboring districts uh, like Anthony Desposito, uh, Nick LaLota, just some of these other uh, folks. Uh, so I, what I think is, is I would, you know, I think that is notable because, you know, he will require if he's going to run for reelection, which remains to be seen, he would require, you know, a great deal of local infrastructure and support from the local Republican Party and local Republican institutions. Uh, and it remains to be seen whether they would give that to him if he does run for reelection. Again, we're going to be seeing a very different uh, election in two years from now, the, it will be a presidential election. It's a district that Joe Biden won overwhelmingly. So it, it, it remains to be seen whether, you know, e- even a strong, popular Republican would struggle down ballot in this district in a presidential year. So uh, I would be very curious, you know, somebody like George Santos, who is, is uh, so beset by scandal, I think is, would have a very hard time. Really interesting and worth watching. And what about Democrats? I mean, for them, this is, you know, Christmas 2023 come exceptionally early. I mean, what a gift politically for them. Are they seeking to try to make him a kind of symbol, uh, you know, a Republican totem who can stand in for the unreliability or untrustworthiness of the entire Republican Party? Oh, absolutely. You've already seen Richie Torres of the Bronx put forward a Santos Act, the Stop Another Non-Truthful Office Seeker Act. And this is an idea that, you know, would would uh, create a kind of uh, a require candidates to disclose under oath their entire like employment and, and educational history and essentially make it a, a crime to you know lie about your your resume. Uh, whether this has any hope of passing, I, I'd be very curious, uh, you know, whether it would withstand a court challenge. Uh, I mean, obviously, the Democrats are in the minority, but it does get everybody on TV. Uh, it does get everybody, you know, does keep uh, Santos sort of on the front burner and does continue to obligate Republicans to answer questions. And this district obviously is going to be a massive target come 2024 if Santos completes his term. And even if he doesn't run for re-election, it, it's an obvious uh, pickup opportunity for Democrats. So uh, I think they they want to keep talking about this as long as possible. Will, we always like to ask our guests on the podcast a what else question, something completely different. Uh, this week, word came of a bundle of documents uh, that were associated with Joe Biden's time as vice president that were found, of public documents, official documents that hadn't been handed over to the relevant authorities. And then actually word came on Wednesday of a second batch uh, of these documents, again, not handed over. I mean, normally people perhaps wouldn't care too much about, you know, b- b- paperwork going back uh, several years. But of course, it's about this business of holders of high public office handing back documents relevant from their term that led to former President Donald Trump uh, and his home at Mar-a-Lago being raided by the FBI, the possibility of criminal charges arising uh, out of that. And now there are, you know, these papers emerging, two batches of them uh, by last count for Joe Biden. So the question, I suppose, Will, is whether the, the discovery of these 
two caches of documents down the back of the metaphorical Biden sofa will somewhat spike the guns of Democrats as they press and go after Donald Trump over the documents, classified secret documents he had failed to hand over. I mean, there's certainly a, a very serious uh, question here of whether classified documents were, in, you know, improperly uh, housed at the Penn Biden Center. You know, what the, the consequence of this will be that every time going forward, if there is any kind of, of legal action or, or just political rhetorical action around the documents uh, housed at Mar-a-Lago, the Republicans will be able to say, well, Biden had some uh, materials as well. So this is just a thing that pres- that, you know, presidents do, or in fact, Biden was not even president. So I think it, it changes the rhetoric and makes the uh, sort of explanation of this a little bit tougher for Democrats. And yes, perhaps more significantly makes this sort of tougher for the Department of Justice uh, as they go forward. I would point out that, you know, Trump and his attorneys maintained they did not have any further documents denied possessing them, and it it sort of took an FBI raid to recover them. Whether that's meaningful for Republicans or whether that, you know, convinces them that this is a different situation uh, remains to be seen. But I I think it makes it, it creates a political problem. I don't know that it creates a legal problem, but certainly, uh, like I said, an optical rhetorical problem for both Democrats and the Department of Justice. Uh, you know, as as we see the case uh, around the Mar-a-Lago documents progress. Will Brederman of The Daily Beast, thanks so much for joining me on Politics Weekly America. Well, thank you so much for having me. It's been, been a real pleasure. And that is all from me for this week. But as we get settled into 2023, I want to hear from you. Before the madness of another election year fully descends for 2024, we're looking forward to digging into some of the most interesting questions that face the United States this year. It doesn't have to be about elections and politics and office, just the big questions for America. What topics, people, states would you like to know more about? You can send us your questions and comments to podcasts at theguardian.com or you can find me on Twitter, my handle there is at Friedland. But for now, it's goodbye. The producer is Daniel Stevens, and the executive producer this week was Max Sanderson. I'm Jonathan Friedland. Thanks, as always, for listening. This is The Guardian. Tired of ads barging into your favorite news podcasts? Good news. Ad-free listening is available on Amazon Music for all the music plus top podcasts included with your Prime membership. Stay up to date on everything newsworthy by downloading the Amazon Music app for free or go to amazon.com slash news ad free. That's amazon.com slash news ad free to catch up on the latest episodes without the ads.